Chapter Twenty Two of Bob the Castaway or The Wreck of the Eagle. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Nigel Boydell. Chapter Twenty Two Afloat Once More. Captain Spark laid aside his binoculars and began shoving the gig down towards the line of turf. The tide was about half in. "'Lend a hand!' cried the commander to Mr. Tarbill. There was no need to urge Bob, who had already grasped one side of the gunwale and was helping to push the boat down the beach. It was almost too much for the captain and Bob, as Mr. Tarbill, however willing he was, could not bring much strength to the work. Fortunately, however, Tim Flynn came from the woods at that moment, dragging after him a long, thin pole to serve as a mast. He saw what the captain wanted and ran up to help. Between the three, they managed to get the gig afloat. "'Now then, lively!' cried the commander. "'Their boat is settling fast!' Tim did not need to be told what the object was in launching the gig. Fortunately, there had been a spare pair of oars in the craft when she came ashore the big blades being fastened so they could not float away. With these, the captain and Tim began to propel the boat towards the sinking craft, in which were Mr. Carr and Ned Scud. The two latter were bailing so fast that they had no chance to row. Bob also went in the gig, but Mr. Tarbell remained on shore, nervously running up and down, wringing his hands and uttering vain wishes that he had never undertaken a sea voyage for his health. It was not long before the gig was close to the other boat, and Captain Spark called out a glad greeting to his first mate and the sailor. "'What happened?' he asked. "'We hit some floating wreckage last night,' exclaimed Mr. Carr. "'Stove quite a hole, but I managed to stuff part of a sail in it, and we did very well until early this morning. Then some of the seams began to open, and we were filling fast.' "'I'll take you aboard,' said the commander. We've got a nice little island waiting for you. Where are the other men? Drowned, replied Mr. Carr solemnly. That is, those who were with me. When we got the hole in us, they became frightened and leapt overboard. That is, all but Ned here. I tried to make them stay in, but they wouldn't. That is the last I saw of them. The other boat, with Sam Bender and his crew, we lost sight of. "'Poor fellows,' murmured the captain. The first mate and Ned were soon in the captain's gig, and shortly afterwards the boat with the hole in her filled and sank. "'Never mind,' consoled the captain. "'It's shallow here, and at low tide we may be able to get her. "'Anything left in her, Mr. Carr?' "'Considerable provisions in the watertight compartments, "'also some supplies.' "'Very good. We'll need them all.' We're quite a party of castaways now. How did you find Bob? asked the first mate, for his boat had been near when the boy fell overboard. Oh, Bob discovered the island for us, replied the commander, and he explained the various happenings. Shore was soon reached, and then Mr. Carr and Ned, neither of whom had been able to eat much because of the necessity of bailing to keep from sinking, were given a good meal. The two latest arrivals looked with interest at what had already been done to form a camp. 
When their wet trousers were hung up to dry in the hot sun, they rested in the shade of the tent, and Bob explained his adventures on first reaching the island. "'Have you any idea where we are, Captain?' asked Mr. Carr, after a mutual exchange of experiences. "'Only a slight one. I'm going to take an observation this noon. Fortunately, my chronometer did not stop, and I can get a correct reckoning.' But the captain was disappointed. At noon the sun was hidden under a dense bank of clouds, and as dead reckoning would have been to no avail since they had no previous record to go by, he had to postpone matters. However, there was plenty to do. When the tide went out late that afternoon, they saw that it would be possible to get most of the things from the wrecked boat. This kept them busy until dark. Then a big campfire was lighted, and though the tent was rather crowded with the six in it, they managed to sleep fairly comfortably. The next day it rained, and the castaways put in rather a miserable existence. Fortunately, they had carried the food into the tent, where it was protected from the terrific tropical downpour. The rain kept up for three days, and during all that time, Mr. Tarbill never ceased complaining. As for Bob and the others, they did not mind getting wet through, for the weather was very warm. At the captain's directions, they had built a sort of screen for the fire at the first sign of a storm, making it of green coconut leaves on slanting poles like a lean-to, and this kept the blaze going in spite of the wetness, as plenty of dry wood had been gathered before the rain began. On the fourth day the sun shone brightly. The downpour had ceased, and they rejoiced in the beautiful scenery around them, even though they were shipwrecked and on a strange island. "'We must build a more substantial shelter than the tent,' Captain Spark decided that morning. "'We may have to stay here for several months, and the tent is not large enough. Besides, we must keep our supplies dry.' They decided to make a small log cabin, and with this end in view, Bob, the two sailors and Mr. Carr set off into the woods to hew down trees for this purpose. Captain Spark and Mr. Tarbill remained behind to get the camp in better shape after the storm. The commander also wished to take a sun observation that noon and work out the position of the island. As Bob and his three companions were going through the wood, they were surprised to see several birds of brilliant plumage, some of them sang sweetly. "'That is a good sign!' exclaimed Mr. Carr. "'Why?' asked Bob. "'Because if there are birds on this island, it shows that there must be a larger island not far away. Birds of this kind live in large forests, and as there are none here on account of the size of the island, that shows they must come from some other one, or from the mainland.' "'I hope you're right,' said Bob. "'We might be able to get to some other island in the gig.' and then we will stand a better chance of being rescued. When the little party got back to camp, carrying a number of poles for the beginning of the hut, they found Captain Spark preparing to take an observation, as it was nearly noon. He asked Mr. Carr to assist him. In a few minutes, after taking the altitude of the sun through the sextant, and working out a calculation from his table of figures, the captain was able to announce the result, giving the latitude and longitude of the island. "'Why!' exclaimed Bob. 
That is about the location of the island shown on the parchment map that Captain Obed gave me. So it is, cried the captain. Where's the map, Bob? Lost overboard with the rest of my things, I suppose, when the boat capsized, was the rueful answer. That's so. Now we'll never know whether there's any treasure or not. However, there's no use worrying about that. The best news is that we are not far off from a very large island, at which ships frequently touch for water and provisions. Good, cried Mr. Carr. About how far off, Captain? No more than two hundred miles. But how can we get two hundred miles? asked Mr. Tarbill. In the small boat, my gig to be sure. We have sufficient provisions for twice that journey, and the boat is large enough. I'll never venture to sea in a small boat, declared the nervous passenger. The others paid little attention to him, being too much interested in what the captain had to say about the other island. He'd never been there, but he had heard of it. It was inhabited by a tribe of friendly natives. Shall we start soon? asked Mr. Carr. I think we'll wait a week or two to see what turns up here. We are very comfortable, and I don't want to undertake the voyage in the small boat if there is any chance of a ship taking us off from here. The thought that they were not so far from an island where the chances of rescue were most excellent put everyone in good humour, save Mr. Tarbill, who remained gloomy and nervous. It was decided to proceed with the building of the hut, and in a few days it was finished and thatched with thick green leaves that were almost as good as shingles. "'There, now let it rain if it wants to,' said Mr. Carr. "'We'll be good and dry. The tent can be used as a storehouse for what the hut won't hold.' It seemed as if the rain was going to take them at the word, for there came a steady downpour the next day, and it lasted a week with but few intermissions. They were very weary of it. Yet through it all, Bob kept up his good spirits. He was a changed boy, and though, once or twice, the spirit of mischief seemed about to break out in him, he restrained it to the secret delight of Captain Spark. "'I was right after all,' he said to Mr. Carr one day when the rain had ceased. "'It needed a sea voyage to straighten Bob out, but I didn't figure on a shipwreck doing it.' The boy was very helpful about the camp, no task was too hard for him, no labour too much, and he never grumbled. He had grown almost used to life on the island, as had the other castaways, but Captain Spark had not given up the plan of sailing for the large island. He waited until he thought the weather had settled down, and then, one fine morning, he gave the word to load the small boat with all their supplies. "'Do you think we can make it?' asked Mr. Carr. "'I think so.' We can try at any rate. We'll have this island and the log cabin to return to in case we have to turn back. Are you really going to put to sea in that small boat? asked Mr. Turbill nervously when the time for departure came. That we are, replied the captain. Then I'm not going. Very well. If you want to stay, we'll leave you some provisions, and perhaps in six months a ship may pass here and see the shirt signal. Six months? Well, maybe longer, maybe a shorter time. And I'll have to stay here all alone? That's what you will, answered Captain Spark shortly, for he was beginning to tire of Mr. Tarbell's cowardice. 
"'Oh, dear, what shall I do?' exclaimed the nervous man. "'Come along with us,' suggested Bob. "'I'm afraid.' "'Then stay on the island. That won't sink,' said the captain. "'I'm afraid of that, too.' "'Well, we're going,' announced the commander, preparing to aid in shoving the boat down to the water's edge. "'Oh, don't leave me behind. I'll go, I'll go. But I know I'll be drowned. I'm sure of it.' "'You're a cheerful passenger.' murmured the captain as Mr. Tarbell got into the boat. "'Let her go, boys!' A few minutes later they were afloat once more, leaving Bob's Island behind. Would they be able to reach the other one? That was the question in every heart. End of chapter 22